0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we're going to be reacting to Arsenal's narrow victory over Burnley at Turf Moor. The Gunners picking up a second consecutive victory, doing it with a second consecutive clean sheet. But if we're being honest, The second half was a really, really difficult watch. We're going to be dissecting that game. We'll be getting some of your thoughts and comments from the live chat box as well. Uh, This is our post-match reaction podcast. Of course, we'll be bringing you a more detailed tactical analysis of the game tomorrow. Once I've had the opportunity to watch it back, we've heard from Mikel Arteta in his press conferences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want to point out, because I know a couple of you have mentioned it in the chat box already, I did call it. I did say it was going to be the famous old 1-0 to the Arsenal. And there it was. Arsenal just about getting over the line in the end. It was a, as I say, it was a difficult watch uh, that second half. But we'll come on to that in a moment. Let's let's start with the very beginning, I guess. Let's start with Mikel Arteta's team selection. And when the team initially uh, came out, I was a little bit surprised. I was surprised that he opted to put Martin Odegaard in that deeper role again, just like he did against Manchester City. He looked at this, the game, I think, and he, he felt that this was going to be a game where Burnley were going to sit deep and were going to hit long balls and were going to try and be, you know, very direct as they always are. And therefore, we could maybe get away with having a bit more of a lightweight midfield and I guess he felt as though the game was going to go in a very specific way. He thought that Arsenal would have all of the ball. He thought that Arsenal would find themselves in a situation where they would be forced to try and break Burnley down, in which case adding more creativity in the form of Martin Odegaard in one of those deeper midfield positions felt like the way to go for Mikel Arteta. Now, We'll come on to, to talk about how that worked uh, a little bit more later on, and we'll talk about it in a lot more detail, as I say, uh, on that uh, tactical analysis show that we'll be bringing you tomorrow. Uh, but initially, when the team came out, my initial thoughts were, OK, this is quite brave from Mikel Arteta. And, you know, a lot of people have looked at him and said he's very negative, he's very cautious. And I think we can be cautious in the way we actually play the game, the patterns of play, um, the the kind of the frequency with which we overload certain areas of the pitch and push people forward. But I think you have to say that Mikel Arteta was quite brave in his team selection. Now, I heard people in the lead up to the game this week, and I even mentioned it on the pre-match podcast yesterday. I mentioned that I'd heard people specifically on TalkSport uh, talking about how this was the worst possible fixture. That Mikel Arteta could face because Burnley are a very physical side, are a very committed side, and play in a way that has traditionally caused problems for Arsenal. But Arsenal have come away with it. So I guess if you're looking at it by that logic, if you're looking at it as one of the most difficult games that Mikel Arteta could face at this moment, I don't feel that way, but I know a lot of people did, and a lot of people were dreading this trip to Burnley, then of course you have to be positive and you have to give praise to the side having come through the back of that game with all three points and a clean sheet. Let's let's start kind of diving into it a little bit more. Let b- actually before I do that, let me say some hellos in the chat because there's loads of you here and lots of you um uh saying hellos and and there's some great comments in here. I want to take this one from Holy Moly Tommy Kafu uh doing bits today. I might use that going forward. I love that. Thank you very much. Uh big thank you to Alejandro who says afternoon Harry congratulations on being a father again. Thank you so much mate. Uh, Louie says, one nil, you called it, Harry. I did indeed. Uh, Tola says, thanks, Harry. Big fan of your work. Thank you, my friend, for tuning in. It is very, very much appreciated. Andrew joins us from Texas. He says, first time on live. Listen to your podcast all the time. Keep it up, Andrew. Thank you very much and love to all our American listeners. Right. Um, you know what? Before I carry on, there's a few more as well. Let, let's say hello to the Philly Guna. Let's say hello to... Uh, Trey from Atlanta says, thanks for all your hard work, Harry. No, thank you guys, honestly, uh, for supporting the podcast. And remember, if you'd like to support the podcast, go that one uh, little bit further. You can become a uh, member by clicking on the link in the description, or if you're watching via your PC on YouTube, you can click the join button. And of course, a big shout out to our Canadian listeners as well, including Chris Mossing. Right, let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about how Arsenal started the game. Then, so I was sitting here watching the game and I was watching the game with my dad and my two brothers, like I try to do whenever possible. And we said after the first sort of five, six minutes, Arsenal are moving the ball quite nicely here. There's a fluidity to their play. Um, Martin Odegaard is dropping into those deeper areas, which obviously he's tasked to do in that role and getting on the ball and dictating things and making things happen. But we were just kind of lacking that final pass again, lacking that cutting edge. And we've seen that so often with this Arsenal side under Mikel Arteta. But we persisted. I never thought we were great at any point in the first half, but I thought defensively we looked incredibly secure. Burnley had a couple of speculative efforts, but I thought Gabriel um, and Tomiyasu in particular stood out from a defensive point of view. I thought the midfield, although perhaps a little lightweight with Odegaard in there, actually worked quite well. And it worked quite well because Arsenal had the ball and having the you know, having the uh, the lion's share of possession meant that those players weren't in a position where they were chasing, harrying, pressing people. It was about controlling and dictating the game. And I thought Arsenal did that. I thought Partey looked pretty good. Again, um, you know, every time we see Thomas Partey, we say he looks good. We say, you know, that he's a real top quality player and that if he can stay fit, um, you know, then great. You know, it, it would make such a huge difference to this team. Now, Thomas Partey was substituted off Today, I don't know if it was because of um, fear of him overexerting himself. Mikel Arteta talked in the week, didn't he, about managing Thomas Partey's workload? And I'm sure by the time some of you have listened to this, Mikel will have probably uh, clarified that in his post-match press conference or interview. But I wonder if that injury, uh, that substitution, the withdrawal of Thomas Partey, was because. They were worried about him going over that line, exerting himself. As I say, they've already talked about him managing his workload or if he did feel something. Obviously, Kieran Tierney went off injured as well, uh, which is another negative. And and I think it looked like cramp to me. But, you know, it's, it's two players that are important to this team who keep breaking down. So that was kind of the one small negative I'd take away from this game. But going back to the first half, I thought we were defensively secure, without creating a great deal going forward again. And there was times where you were looking at it and you were just almost urging players to get on the ball and drive at their opponents. Because you can play the ball right, you can play the ball left, you can do all of that stuff, but, it, but opponents will still be able to sit and remain in their shape and make it difficult for you. Whereas when you drive at someone, when you pick up the ball and run at a defender, you commit them, you force them to commit because they can't just let you run through. You force them to come in out of their position to confront you, and you force players around them to do that in order to try and cover that player that you're initially running at. So it's so important that you commit players. That's how you pull defenses apart. And I think one of the big problems we've had under Mikel Arteta time and time again is that not enough of our players do that. It's that we do seem to want to kind of pass the ball into the net. We talked with Mike McDonald yesterday yesterday, about some of the theory behind Mikel Arteta's football. And, um, you know, a lot of that was was kind of on show again today, where the same patterns of play are emerging every single time, creating that overload down the left-hand side, finding Kieran Tierney when he comes forward. It it seems very same old, same old. Um, But the goal came from Arsenal winning a free kick on the edge of the box. Because Bukayo Saka picked up the ball and and ran at somebody. Because Bukayo Saka took the game to them, he drew a foul out of his player and um, uh, out of his marker, wins the free kick. And it was expertly dispatched by Martin Odegaard. It was a fantastic finish. And do you know what? I'm delighted for him because there are a lot of Arsenal fans out there that weren't sure about the signing, didn't know if it was the right thing to spend 30 odd million pounds on him. Some questioned whether he's good enough, some questioned what he would bring to this side. I think you saw in the first half, especially what Martin Odegaard brings to the side. And that is a technical security, the ability to dictate play, the ability to pick the right passes. He played a couple of those trademark Martin Odegaard reverse passes today, which I thought were fantastic. We probably should have done more with them. But I think Martin Odegaard is, is really starting to come into his own. Mikel Arteta clearly trusts him. Still not sure about him in that deeper midfield role. Look, I think there will be games and times... Where that works. And I think, given that we've won at Burnley and Martin Odegaard scored the winning goal, you have to give Mikel Arteta credit for it this time around. But I think you could see later on in the game that we needed to change it. And Mikel Arteta, to his credit, did change it. And he changed it by bringing in the right personnel and seeing out the game. And we'll talk about some of those substitute appearances a little bit later on, because I thought they were key in getting us over the line. Now, there are a few negatives from today's game. And I know that I'm always talking about positivity and how Arsenal fans should be behind the team. And we are behind the team. Look, but with a performance like this and a victory like this, you've got to find the balance between celebrating the victory and enjoying it. After all, that is what football's about. But also looking at it breaking it down and understanding in what particular areas you need to improve so that you stand a greater chance of winning football matches going forward and when i look at today's game there were a few things that worried me the first one was ben white now i am not saying that ben white is not going to come good and and listen I, I probably went a little bit ott in my tweet during the match and and my good friend sophie at the highbury squad she called me out on it you know she said um she said you're, uh, you know, like basically the tweet was a bit OTT is is basically not not word for word, but paraphrasing what she said, because I put a tweet out and I'll you know what? I'll read it to you guys because I can't remember exactly word for word what it was, um, but I know it wasn't complimentary to Ben White and it was something along the lines of here we go. This was it. Um, Thank God for VAR. Ramsdale clearly won the ball first and the initial penalty decision for Burnley is correctly overturned. And this is my bit about Ben White. Ben White is a lucky boy. That was an awful back pass. He's not looked like a £10 million centre-half today, let alone a fifty million one. one. And I'm sorry, but that's how I felt watching Ben White's performance today. One of the things that people told us Ben White was going to bring to the team when signed was the ability to progress the ball out of the defence, and when you look at the midfield that Arsenal picked today, it was a lot more technical than our midfield normally tends to be. You know, there wasn't a, 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 a Mohamed El Nenny in there. There wasn't Granit Xhaka, who you know is is questionable when it comes to turning and receiving the ball in those particular areas, and then building play. In fact, we saw him make a big mistake trying to do that against Burnley last season. So. I felt that today was a day where I wanted to see Arsenal progress the ball into the midfield better. And that is what Ben White is supposed to be the expert of. And I didn't think he did it. I thought every time Ben White got the ball, he put his foot on it and at times took a little bit too long. And maybe some of those options into midfield or or those passing lanes were being shut down by Burnley because he took a little bit too long on the ball. That's how I felt watching it. Physically, I knew Ben White was going to have a difficult time against Burnley. I know that Ben White is not particularly commanding in the air. We saw that at Brentford, didn't we, in the first game of the season? So I know it's early days with Ben White, and I'm not sitting here saying that we wasted our money and we should never have signed him. And he's a terrible centre-half and this was bad business. It may well still go on to be good business. In fact, I think it will go on to be good business. I just didn't enjoy his performance today. And he got caught in possession right at the start of the second half, which almost led to an opportunity for Burnley because he dilly-dallied on the ball. And then, of course, he put Aaron Ramsdale in an awful position, didn't he? And, And initially, Anthony Taylor, the referee, pointed to the spot and awarded Burnley a penalty. And listen, people talk about VAR, people criticize VAR, had this debate over the years, time and time again. But, you know, we need it. We bloody need it because you see decisions like that. Now, I was watching it on TV and I said instantly Aaron Ramsdale got the ball first because I thought it was as clear as day. Anthony Taylor, the on-the-field referee, was convinced otherwise. He thought that Aaron Ramsdale were taking out the Burnley player only and he pointed to the spot. And if VAR isn't there, then Arsenal were talking about a game where I'm not saying they were incredible, but they'd been the better side in the first half. They'd taken the lead through a sublime free kick from Martin Odegaard, hadn't really put a foot wrong defensively, and could have been pegged back by an incorrect refereeing decision. And who knows what would have happened on the, uh, from then on. The pendulum swings on things like that. And I think it's imperative that we have VAR in the game because of moments like that. Now, that could have completely turned the game. And so for me, you know, it was brilliant to see um, you know, it used properly. But look, going back to Ben White, I, I did think he was underwhelming today. I do worry about him. I think there are certain games where Ben White won't have any trouble, where he'll be good enough to get by and where he's, his style will not be exposed. But Burnley is not one of them. So I kind of half went into this game worrying about Ben White and his lack of physicality and the challenges that Burnley were going to pose but equally I was disappointed to see him not cope incredibly well. But look, again, maybe it's a little bit harsh, maybe I'm being overly critical. I don't know. Arsenal have gone away to Burnley, they've won the game, they've kept a clean sheet. So it probably feels like it's a little bit, I don't know, um agenda driven. Some people might say that I'm kind of criticizing one of our defenders. But no, I do genuinely think there were there were parts of Ben White's game today uh that I didn't that I didn't really like um but again that's not to say it won't improve um you know and 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 that's my feelings and people won't like that people will say that I'm being never negative and you know the other people will say that I'm never critical of the team so it's it's impossible to find the middle balance which is why I just say what I see and what I feel and you know a lot of the time when we're talking about football we talk about how we feel but I didn't feel that Ben White looked majorly comfortable today on the other hand I thought his defensive partner Gabriel looked brilliant. I thought that Gabriel brought everything to the table that we've been missing as a backline at the start of this uh, from the start of the season. He was physical, he was imposing. He knew when to go tight and when to drop off. He knew um how to support Ben White. He knew in my opinion how to, how to handle that type of striker that Burnley have. He didn't get too involved in the kind of the pushing and shoving. He, he handled himself really well, though. But also what I really like from Gabriel, and again, look, people will say that this is, you know, insignificant, but I really do. Um, I really, really do like the way he was on the referee's case from the very off about Burnley pushing and shoving in the penalty area, about Burnley as I said yesterday on the podcast, doing what they do, which is playing right on the peripheries of what is allowed and what is not allowed in terms of physicality. So really good to see Gabriel Marshall in that defence excellently. I thought it was fantastic. And I really enjoyed him kind of taking ownership of that situation and making sure he was in Anthony Taylor's ear, making sure that Anthony Taylor was involved and aware of all the things that Burnley were up to, uh, particularly on those set pieces. So yeah, uh, great stuff. Really enjoyed his performance. I'm just having a quick glance at my notes because I made a couple of notes during the game of things that I wanted to make sure I talked about. Um, I've got that point about the midfield. I I do feel that the progression should have been um, a little bit better from the defence into the midfield. I think the midfield suffered later on in the game, though. I think in the second half, we really struggled to get a foothold in the game. And I actually thought that Mikel Arteta's substitutions um, were really good. Now, again, at the time of recording, I don't know what the situation is with Thomas Partey. A couple of you in the chat have said that he asked to be substituted. Maybe he did, but either way, I I still think that, um, you know, the subs made a positive impact. I thought La came on and gave us a little bit more control um, in that area of the park. I thought you saw an instant upturn when he entered the field of play, but I thought the biggest impact came from Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Now I've got to hold my hands up a little bit here. And listen, I am willing to do that when I feel Uh, like it's worthy. And and when I feel that credit is due, I've got no issue dealing it out. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles, for me, is a player that I've not been convinced about as a centre midfielder, but I thought he came on and did really, really well. Now, of course, he was sharp, he was fresh, but he got around the pitch. He got his foot in um, early in certain challenges. I thought he really put himself about in that uh, period of the game. And I thought he was crucial to Arsenal holding on. So credit where it's due. And we'll talk a little bit more about what he did in detail in tomorrow's tactical analysis. But brilliant performance, albeit as a substitute from Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I thought Nuno Tavares, you know, I talked about La Conga and Maitland-Niles, but I thought Tavares did well when he came on as well. Adds a real steal, doesn't he, to that Arsenal defence, willing to carry the ball up the pitch as he did right at the end of the game. Probably should have played somebody in. I'm not sure what on earth uh, he was doing because he um, he had this shot that was worldwide in the end uh, and that was never going to trouble the goalkeeper. And you could see in the replay, Martin Odegaard in particular was uh, very frustrated by that because a lot of players had made the effort to burst forward and Arsenal were hoping there to potentially uh, find a second goal and put the game to bed. Instead, they had to hold on for a few minutes longer. I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Ramsdale because... Um, I've said in previous shows that Aaron Ramsdale, for me, is exactly the type of goalkeeper that I like. I like goalkeepers who do their utmost to take the pressure off of their back lines. I don't like goalkeepers that stay on their goal line. I like goalkeepers that come out and claim crosses, that stand on the edge of the box and are alert when they need to come out and sweep. And I thought Aaron Ramsdale did all of those things brilliantly. I thought there were a couple of moments where Burnley got the ball into the box and Aaron Ramsdale, you know, did really well to rise and and claim the crosses. And I think as a centre-back, you know, if you're under the cosh like Arsenal were at certain periods in that second half, you'll be looking behind you and saying, yeah, you know, that's my goalkeeper. I trust in this goalkeeper. I know that he can come out and win the ball. And so as long as I do my job, I've got full faith in him behind me. I think that's so, so important. And again, something Arsenal have really, really lacked in recent seasons. So fair play to Aaron Ramsdale. It's another game. It's another clean sheet. Now I know his clean sheets have come in the Carabao Cup against West Bromwich Champion in the Premier League against Norwich City and now against Burnley. But there is no reason to drop Aaron Ramsdale now uh, if you're Mikel Arteta because he's not put a foot wrong. He, you know, would have been very unfortunate had that penalty been allowed to stand, fortunately for us. The uh, VAR intervened and showed Anthony Taylor the replay. But I just thought he he brought a coolness, a calmness to that back line. It's what I always talk about with goalkeepers. I think that is so, so important. His distribution uh, was was pretty good as well. I thought at times he showed that he can mix it up. He can go short. He can go out to the flanks. But he also played a couple of decent balls up to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as well. Not much came off the back of them, but I thought he uh, he showed all the sides and I guess all the faces of his uh, ability to distribute the ball, which was great. Now, another couple of players that I just want to mention who, for me, underwhelmed today. And look, we won the game. Obviously, I'm delighted, but I do think these points are worth bringing up. And again, it's something that we're going to dive into a little bit more in our analysis tomorrow. But I've talked over the last few days a lot about how it's a massive risk and a massive gamble for Mikel Arteta to go into this Premier League season expecting Bukayo Saka and Emil smith Rose specifically to provide to, to the level of outputs necessary for Arsenal to fire themselves back into the top six. And, and I stick by that. And I think today, in a lot of ways, that point was kind of proven. Yes, it was an off day and players will have off days. But top, top quality players don't have those off days as frequently as young, inexperienced players still trying to find themselves, still trying to develop. And I think there were countless uh, moments today where Arsenal broke forward into the uh, Burnley half, had men getting forward in numbers, really kind of looking poised to, to create something. And then the pass was short or didn't have enough weight on it and then therefore forced the attacker to check back and wait for the ball, or it was played onto the wrong foot of the attacker, or it was not executed with enough authority, or they were in situations themselves where they took touches in good areas where had their first touch been good, they could have got a shot away. There was another situation right at the end of the game. I think it was where Tavares broke forward down the left hand side and he cut the ball in field to Bakayo Saku, who tried to cover it on his, to control it on his right foot. It was inside the penalty area. He had plenty of space to get the shot off and he didn't. He didn't manage to bring the ball under his spell. And look, again, I've said this time and time again, because people will take this as me digging out those two young lads, which is not what I'm doing. I'm simply saying that they right now, today, on the 18th of September 2021, aren't at the level at which they can be relied upon week in, week out to deliver, week in, week out to score goals. And that's how I feel. Um, you know, that's how I feel about those two. I think they'll get there eventually. And I think that we should have brought players in to kind of take some of that weight and some of that burden off of them, but they're not scoring goals. They're not providing assists. And unfortunately in this league, you can, you know, you can fall short based on that. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, if we had played those passes correctly, in the first half, if those final balls had been right, we probably wouldn't have been in a position where the second half was as nervy as it was because we would have had the opportunities, I'd argue, to have put the game to bed. And and that's not just on Saka. It's not just on Smith Rowe. It's on our forward line as a collective, but they're obviously a big part of that forward line. Aubameyang wasn't great today, I didn't think, and he deserves criticism as well. But the only reason I mentioned Saka and and Smith-Rowe is because I've talked about them before and talked about my concerns about that before. Um, RW in the chat says, talk about Pepe. He was just as bad as Saka. Agreed today. But if we look at at their outputs last season where they both played a full season, right? And I want to do this because I want to do this on air because um, it is a point that I think really does need making. And it's a point where I think that people maybe when they think about it, don't necessarily look at the stats or, or will probably find themselves to be surprised by the statistics that I'm about to show you. So if I take it uh, onto mark, then we go to detail. In fact, let me share the screen with you so that you guys watching on YouTube can see this because I think this is really, really important and a real kind of basis upon which my point is made and a basis as to why... I do talk about Saka and Smith-Rowe and not so much Nicolas Pepe. That's Premier League. Hold on. Let me change this to all competitions, right? Total 2021. 20, so here's the Arsenal squad list from the 2021 season. Okay. Nicolas Pepe played 25 times for the Arsenal and scored 16 goals. Sorry, he's he didn't play 25 times. He played... He was in the squad 54 times. I'm looking at the wrong column. He played 47 times, okay? So 47 appearances, 16 goals, 5 assists, okay? Let me take that on now to Bukayo Saka. 46 appearances, so one shy of Nicolas Pepe. Seven goals. That's not even half. He got 10 assists. Fair enough. He's better in the assist that... um kind of phase, but seven goals is not a big enough output, in my opinion, from Bukayo Saka. It's not to say that it's an embarrassing output or it's the kind of output that he should be walking around with his head down in shame about. No, it's a very, very good output for an 18, 19 year old who's still finding his way in his career. But Arsenal should have more than that. Arsenal need to have more than that. And the reason I talk about Nicolas Pepe and and I don't necessarily include him in that bracket is because the outputs in terms of goals are significantly more from the Ivorian. You know, we're talking about somebody who is 25 years old, who is probably as good as he's ever going to be. And you can see that the output in terms of goals is more, much more significant. In fact, he scored 16 goals, one more than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang last season. And then you take it on to emil Smith-Rowe. And again, Emil Smith-Rowe didn't play all of last season, agreed, but he made 33 appearances and he scored seven times. And to put that into context, and I know I've thrown this stat uh, at you guys a little bit uh, before, Iwobi in the full season under Unai Emery managed more goals than Bukayo Saka, Henrik Mkhitaryan, the same. So these are two players that, two players I'm talking about in in Smith Rowe and Saka that I do think have huge, huge futures. They really, really do. I really do think that they will go on to be fantastic players for the Arsenal. I support them. I back them. I adore them. They're our very own. But my big worry is that we're relying on them too much. And games like today, we're going to say they didn't play well. Yeah, okay, they didn't play well. But if you compare that to like Mason Greenwood, let's say at Manchester United, who's in a similar stage of his career, Mason Greenwood, when he scores, everybody says, fantastic. Mason Greenwood was excellent today, difference maker, brilliant. When Mason Greenwood doesn't score, people don't come away from the game and say, oh, that Mason Greenwood, he really had a poor game for Manchester United. You know why? Because Manchester United have those outputs from alternatives. They get those outputs from Bruno Fernandes, from now Paul Pogba, from Marcus Rashford, from Cristiano Ronaldo. So there are options there. Now Jaden Sancho's there too. So there are players at Manchester United that will help develop somebody like Mason Greenwood, limit his minutes to a degree, but players that he can learn from week in, week out. And at Arsenal, we've got two young, extremely talented lads who don't have anybody to look at as a benchmark, who don't have anybody to learn from, and will be under pressure to deliver at the level we need them to every single week. And that's my fear about them. That's my worry about them. So this is not a criticism of them. It's a criticism of their performance today, But in the bigger context and in the grand scheme of things, I know that their performances, um, you know, are going to get better. But I know that we can't expect or it's unrealistic to expect them to hit that level when they're just simply not there yet in their careers. And that's my big worry and big concern about those two. But look, they weren't the only two. It's just because we've been talking about this in the past that felt. That was a a good route to kind of approach this conversation via. But I do think Aubameyang was poor. I do think Pepe was poor today as well. Uh, Not as direct as he tends to be. Um, You know, never cut the the ball inside as much as I'd have liked him to, etc., etc. But um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, on that right, let's get some of your questions uh, in the live chat box. Please uh, do drop some of those in. I'd love to take some of those before we wrap up this uh, post-match reaction podcast. Uh, I can see a couple of you in the chat saying that my my camera is frozen. Uh, it looks like it's working at my end, so I just want to um, I just want to double check that via YouTube. Uh, but get your questions in in the meantime. Now it's not frozen at my end, but I don't know what i do know is if the um if the uh if the connection dips a little bit then it allows the audio to continue rather than the video because it's a podcast that's probably more important but yeah look it's a few of you saying it's okay for you so it might be your internet connection mate um i'm not sure right let's take some of these questions first of all i just want to say a big thank you to trini guna jay who says uh And he comments on that Saka ESR thing. He says, hey, Harry, love your content. I agree with your points on Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. They've been badly out of form and the chances they had today shows it. Both fit would have buried them. Um, Let's go over to the questions. Don Saki says, does Xhaka come into the team for you? Um, It's a hard one because at the start of the season, so before the season had kicked off, if you asked me if Granite Xhaka would be in my starting lineup, uh, I would say... No, I would say that Granite Shaka. Uh, sorry, let me, I've confused myself. Let me start that again. If you had asked me at the start of the season, would I have put Granite Shaka in my starting eleven before we'd kicked the ball? I'd have said yes. I'd have said Granite Shaka and Thomas Partey would be my midfield pairing. I've been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from Sambi La Conga, which is obviously contributing to where I'm at now. But also I think that what we've seen, um, from what we've seen from, you know, Arsenal in terms of the style that they've tried to play this season to press that little bit higher, to be that little bit more aggressive. I mean, we're talking about Mikel Arteta picking single midfield pivots now because he picked Partey and he partnered him up with Martin Odegaard. So if that's the plan going forward, then obviously Xhaka doesn't get back in the team. No, but I still don't think Xhaka is... is, a waste of space, like some of you make out. I still think Xhaka will have a part to play this season. I think he's incredibly consistent in terms of fitness. And I think that we're going to need that come, you know, the rest of the season, because we can see from certain other players in our squad that that is not the case uh, always. Uh, so based on how we're playing now and the way we're playing and the the tactics we've adopted, then no, he doesn't come into the side for me straight away. Uh, Carrie Tannen says, should they use other youngsters more Balogun and Martinelli? I think they should be used as squad players, but that's it for me. You know, I can't sit here and say that we're overly reliant on Saka and Emil Smith Rowe and kind of say that that's a big gamble that the manager's taken and a big gamble and a risk that the club have taken. And then, you know, on the other hand, say that Balogun and Martinelli should be playing every week. So, no, I, I don't think so. Um, but that's obviously just, uh, just my opinion. Uh, What else have we got in the chat box? Um, Take a couple more questions. Uh, Tola says, any idea why we spend so much time kind of just hanging around, passing in the back? The game is so slow. Seems like they've been instructed to do so. Well, a lot of Arsenal's game plan at the moment is built around trying to suck and absorb the opponent into you and then being able to have the quality on the ball to play around that press. And exploit the spaces in behind. But as I said to you guys on the previous show, and I think I was absolutely spot on in the way I called this, I got the score right, 1-0 to the Arsenal. But I also think I got it right that Burnley were going to just sit off and let us do that, and that Burnley were not going to be as aggressive in that press as maybe Norwich were, and therefore we wouldn't be able to take advantage. We also knew that Burnley wouldn't do what Norwich did in terms of trying to play the ball out from the back themselves. And inviting us as a pressing force on. So I think this was a really, really different game. And that's why I talked a little bit earlier on uh, about given the way the game was and given the the guile we had in midfield with Smith Rowe in there, with Odegaard in there, with Saka tucking it in there as well. I felt that we didn't progress the ball well enough and we should have done more. Uh, of that in terms of being able to pick passes between the lines and that might be down to a lack of movement you know it's not always down to the passer sometimes the receiver can be uh you know not pulling his weight in terms of getting into space may- pulling away from markers etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah it's uh it's it's something that I think we need to improve on massively and I hope that Ben White was going to bring that to the team I'm not saying he won't but right now it's not looking uh, all that great, I've got to say. Uh I, The other player I wanted to shout out that I've got in my notes that I haven't yet for some unknown reason, probably because I forgot, is uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu. Uh, Jonathan mentions him in his comment. He says, I'm sure people notice how good Tomiyasu is in the air, but the way he positions himself to block crosses is really praiseworthy. Do you know what? That's a really great point because I've seen... um you know, people, as you say, talk about his aerial ability, but I also thought he did really well at stopping crosses at source today. And that's something that you probably need to do or should do against a side like Burnley, who you know will be desperate to get the ball into the penalty area at every opportunity. So, yeah, you know, t- t- Takahiro Tomiyasu doesn't look at all out of place in the Premier League. I talked about him after the Norwich game as being physically up to the standard. And that doesn't always happen with players coming from foreign leagues, but I thought he's done that really well. I think he's been safe in everything he does. He seems to do the basics very, very well. I think he's a really good addition uh, to the side. Honestly, I think he's a it's a really good sign-in. And I look forward to seeing more of him and seeing him develop. So in conclusion, because we're going to wrap it up there. And remember, we'll be bringing you our tactical analysis show uh, tomorrow. So come and join me for that. I think we'll go for about 11 o'clock. Uh, so in the morning, that is. So come and join me for that live. You can watch it back, of course, on playback or listen to it back. Um, but in conclusion, I just want to say I think the Arsenal weren't great today. It wasn't a vintage Arsenal performance, although 1-0 to the Arsenal is a famous old scoreline associated with our club. It wasn't vintage Arsenal. It wasn't the greatest performance. It was a good performance in the first half, followed by a nervy, edgy, under-par performance in the second half. But we dug in. The squad paid off today, having players that could come off the bench and fill voids and, and up the level in terms of physicality and fitness really, really helped at the end of the game. It helped us see it out. For all the talk about it being a poor second half and a nervy second half, I don't remember Aaron Ramsdale making more than one or two saves. So it wasn't like we were completely up against the ropes. But Yeah, Look. bottom line is there are things that we can work on. There are things that we can take forward, as I've highlighted things in my opinion, and I might even highlight some more when we do that tactical analysis and I watch the game back. But I think you've got to say, given the way we started the season to have picked up two successive victories, one against Norwich and one against Burnley, who, yes, will be down towards the bottom of the table come the end of the season. But I aside that people say are the anti-Arsenal in terms of they play in a way that we just can't handle. To go there to win off the back of a bit of quality from Martin Odegaard, a player who uh, has had his critics among the Arsenal fan base so far. Couldn't believe there were people criticising him last week because I thought he was excellent. But there were people who were piling the pressure on in on him, talking about the lack of goals, talking about the lack of direct assists, etc., cetera, et cetera. So, yes, there were things we needed to work on. But we've gone away from home. We've won 1 0. It's a second consecutive victory. Still not where we want to be in the table, but it's looking a lot better than it did two weeks ago. So uh, we move forward and uh, we look ahead now to the North London Derby, which is going to be a huge game coming up on Sunday. So, yeah, up the Arsenal. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday evening. Look, I know there are things to talk about, things that weren't quite right, as I've pointed out on multiple occasions during this podcast, but. As I said last week, if you can't enjoy an Arsenal victory, what is the point in following them? So make sure you do enjoy your evening. Make sure you hit that like button if you haven't done so already. That really, really does help. And there's over 400 of you watching us live right now. We've only got 139 likes on the board. Surely, just surely, we can get that up to 200 by the time the outro plays. It really, really does help. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you're listening via the audio platforms, then please, please do uh, leave us a review. That really, really does help. Get in touch via Twitter, because obviously I don't see you guys' thoughts and comments in the live chat because, you know, on the live chat. Uh, so please, if you've got any feedback, any thoughts, any comments, any questions, drop them to me on Twitter at Harry Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll be back very soon with that tactical analysis coming your way tomorrow. Until then. Take care. I'm going to go spend some time with my new little girl. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Iguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.